How are we doing? Good, good. I thought it was an appropriate week to wear this shirt, so some, some people might be excited. You know, it's funny. It, it, those of you who know Pastor Derek, who was here previously, he's a diehard Bucks fan, and so I texted him a picture this morning, and I said, look what I'm preaching in today. And he said, we're going to be in new levels of glory this morning because of it. So, <laughs> so if that doesn't happen, text him and harass him about it. I'm just kidding. Hey, we're in a series right now called Missional Moments, where we are talking about taking advantage of opportunities that God gives us, how we are choosing to live intentionally on mission for God. The first week we talked about how we want to be willing and be available and be sensitive to be used by God, recognizing that God has given all of us different talents, different resources, uh, different uh, opportunities of time, different seasons of life, different relationships, and we want to use everything that the master has given us for his glory and for his purposes, accomplishing his mission in this world. Last week and the second week, we talked about how the home is the first mission field, that the home is the very first mission field for any and every believer, that God has given us by proximity these individuals in our lives who he has called us to make an eternal impact on, especially if you are parents with the role of family discipleship in the home. And so we want to keep walking through that. And I want to remind everybody about our missional moments wall that's out in the front. Uh, already we've got it's over 10 cards on there of where people are giving glory to God by sharing what God has done through them when they've been willing and available to say yes to what God was putting on their heart to do or what God clearly says in scripture to do. And so already we're giving God glory with some of those on there. Don't forget if right now you're sitting there thinking, oh man, there was that thing that, that we did that I didn't write something about yet. After church, go out there, get a card, put it on that wall. And that's so we can all encourage each other and, and uh, give glory to God by giving testimony to the ways that he's using us to live intentionally missional in our lives. As we talked about being willing and available and being sensitive and the, the home being our first mission field, today we're looking at the, the next level, if you will, uh, the next level of mission that we are to be about, that next area of calling when you become a part of God's family. Remember, if you have been saved by the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, if you've come to saving faith in Jesus, then you have been grafted into his family, adopted into the family of God. I've got four adopted little sisters, and so I'm pretty familiar with the concept of adoption. Uh, some of my best friends, uh, the former pastors here, Pete and Jamie, they've adopted sweet little girl Cora. So I'm very well acquainted with adoption, and I love when I see in Scripture where it talks about how God has adopted us into his family. And I also love how much in scripture, when we look at the pictures and images that God has given us through his word of relationship that we have with him, who, who is the first member of the Godhead? God the Father. We have Father God. And then what is it in scripture that we so often see each other referred to as? It's a, another family relationship. What are those two terms you might know it? I want to say it, but I'm a little nervous if I'm saying the right thing, so I'm just going to whisper it. <laughs> Brothers and sisters. Familial language is used over and over and over again 
in Scripture. That we, when we become members of God's family, we are members of God's family. And I love an illustration that Pastor Derek used to give, and I'm just going to take it and keep running with it because it's that good. He would give the illustration of, of the two tables. You remember that? How he'd talk about how there's the restaurant table and there's the family table. And how if you go into the restaurant, well, you're paying your money for an exchange of goods and services. The goods of the food and the services of the cook and the wait staff or whoever they might have at that establishment. And so when you're going and you're giving your money, you're expecting certain levels of goods and services. And if you don't receive that level that you're expecting, well, you might have something to say to management or you might have something that you might want to say to your waiter or waitress. There might be something that you feel led to give a review about. Now, let me just say this real quick on that. Remember, we're ambassadors for Christ. Remember, we're ambassadors for Christ. And so uh, if you're going to write like God bless you on the receipt or something like that, make sure your tip gives glory to God that way. Make sure, you know, that day that you have a waiter or a waitress who's off, who seems really off their game and is not serving you well, maybe they got something going on and maybe you should check on them and pray for them. Take advantage of an opportunity to be missional in that moment. But that's what you, when you are giving your money, you expect certain levels of goods and services in exchange. The family table is different, right? Now, I like to experiment when I cook sometimes. I like to try new things. And therefore, because of that, there's been quite a few times that I have totally botched and ruined a meal. In fact, it happened last week where I tried to make something new I hadn't made. And I spent all this time preparing it and cooking it. And I didn't cook it right. And it was no good. We couldn't eat it. The chicken was like cooked on the outside and pink in the middle. And we couldn't get it back. It was ruined. And so my family could have gone, I need to talk to the manager. <laughs> right? Well, I am the manager. <laughs> and I would have said, listen here, sweetheart. No. It's different when it's family. The way we react, the way we respond, the way we relate to those who have prepared the food. And then not only that, but then after the food has been served, maybe you set the table when the food is being cooked. Or maybe after the food is cooked and after everyone's eaten, maybe you, your part is to clean up. The family is different than when you're paying for goods and services. And we are brought into the family of God. And there's another phrase in Scripture that really just drives this message home over and over and over. And it's that phrase right there, one another. One another is in the New Testament 100 times. Different variations of the Greek phrase that we translate into one another. In fact, the, the Greek word there is alelon, and it means one another or each other. And there's three different variations of that Greek word, but essentially it's in the New Testament a hundred times. And get this, out of that 100 times, 59 of those times are explicit and clear commands to us as believers, not suggestions, not, hey, something for you to consider. They are biblical commands for us as the family of God of the way that we are to relate or not relate with one another. In fact, let me just give you a little picture real quick. John, if you could put up the, the list 
of these. Let's take just a quick little gander of these 59 commandments. We've got be at peace with each other, wash one another's feet, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Whoa. Take note of that. Just keep that in your mind. Be devoted to one another in brotherly, there's that familial term again, in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Again, stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then just as Christ has accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Hail. Let me just pause for a second and say I heard a teenage girl one time use this as an excuse to behave inappropriately with her boyfriend. That's not what this verse is saying, okay? This was a different, age, different day, different age. In fact, this would have been two men going, mwah, mwah, okay? All right, yeah, so there's that. Maybe today it would be more accurately interpreted as greet one another with a holy embrace or greet one another in love. When you come together, eat, or when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. There we go again. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is more important than that. Okay. Serve one another in love. If you keep biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, carrying each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's what we just did. Submit, ooh, that's not a fun word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. There it is again. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Wow. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Goodness, there's lots of that. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. We're getting there. We're wrapping it up. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Yikes. And finally, love one another, 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 love one another. So, when we consider the hundred times that this phrase is employed in the New Testament, and the 59 that we just read that are explicit commands on how we are to live as the family of God, a few things become abundantly clear. A few things become abundantly clear. It's abundantly clear that the life of a believer is not an isolated, just me and Jesus type of life. You cannot be grafted into the family and God and say, you know what, just me and Jesus, I got this. Y'all do your thing, you know, your big group, your community thing that you do. You guys do your community group. You do your service. But me, I'm just walking out my own relationship with Jesus. You can't obey all those commands that way. We cannot obey 
those explicit commands to love one another, serve one another, greet one another, encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another. All those commands you can't do in isolation. It's abundantly clear that we're not supposed to do this alone. A few weeks ago when we were in the book of Philippians, one of the things we ended up talking about was in the passage where he said, stand firm in the faith. And then from that, he went on to talk about unity again. It's because we recognize if we're going to stand firm in our faith in a day and age where society and culture is telling us to, to not stand firm in our faith, but to waver or to not take it seriously, or that you're a hater or that you're a bigot or whatever terms might be thrown at Christians nowadays, if you're going to stand firm in these convictions, good luck trying to do it alone. We need each other. This isn't a just me and Jesus type of life. If you've got your Bible this morning, go to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at a passage um, to set the stage for this passage that we're going to look at in Hebrews chapter 10. This is coming out of the author of Hebrews teaching about how Jesus was the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. That before Jesus died on the cross, we didn't have direct access to the presence of God. That there was a veil in the temple that was separating us from God's presence. And only once a year, the high priest, after doing all these purification rituals, could go into the Holy of Holies. And then even after offering the sacrifice every single year for the sins of the people of God, there was still this burden, this conscious awareness that we had to offer that sacrifice again next year. And then the year after that, can you imagine like paying that price for your sins and going, I got to do this again next year, bears this weight on you that you've got to keep paying for your sins. And in Hebrews chapter nine, the author is setting this, painting this beautiful picture of how Jesus Christ with his pure and holy, spotless, sinless blood, unlike the blood of bulls and goats, could go into the holy of holies in the presence of God in the heavenly tabernacle, put his blood on the altar once and for all, and cleanse our conscience of sin, where we can live free to follow Jesus with joy in our hearts, recognizing that he paid for our sin and brought us into the family of God. After this gospel presentation where we're taught that Jesus paid the price for our sins once and for all, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we have this word, therefore, therefore, since Jesus did this for us, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through, uh, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a conscience thing. This is a, man, can you hear in this, the way that the grace and truth and mercy of God comes to the believer to cleanse our conscience, our guilt, and our shame. Where we have condemnation and guilt for our sin and for the things that we've done wrong, the blood of Jesus washes us clean where we can stand before our Father without shame, without cowering back, without hiding 
but come and embrace the Father who loves us and paid for us to come back into his family. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That, that verse I heard misquoted so much growing up to say, so we've got to keep confessing. I confess I'm healthy, whole, and well. I confess I'm the head and not the tail. I confess. That's not what that means. When it says hold fast the confession of your hope or the confession of your faith, he's saying hold fast to your faith in Christ. Hold fast to Jesus Christ because he who promised is faithful. When you feel like letting go, when you feel like you can't stick it out, man, hold fast to your hope. In Jesus Christ, hold fast to your faith in him because he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir one another up. That phrase consider means not just sitting back casually going, oh, if an opportunity presents itself. We want to be ready. We want to be opportunistic. We want to be ready to pounce on what opportunities God sets before us. But this is more than that. That let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. That word spur could have also very easily been translated provoke. In fact, there are some translations that put provoke in there. Provoke one another onto love and good works. So this is not some passive sitting back going, uh, you know, we'll do this, you know, if, there's, if something comes up. This is an intentional stopping to give deep thought and care about how can I, what can I do to provoke my brothers and sisters into love and into good works. This is something we're all called to do, to sit and consider this. What, again, going back to two weeks ago, what has God given me? What has God gifted me at? What resources has he given me? How much time has he given me? Those of you who are in the season of life of retirement, what a gracious gift of God. How much can you do for the kingdom of God now? When you have, you're no longer working at, at a job, so to speak, you have new levels of time to give to the work of the Lord, to pouring in and discipling others. There's a man in our church who is in that season that I know of, who every Saturday morning is getting together with a younger man in our church who's got a wife and young kids to disciple and pour into that man and teach him and model for him and be a positive, godly influence in his life. So all of us going, man, asking and considering, what has God given me? What resources has he given me? What has he made me good at? What can I do? Let me consider what can I do to spur others on to love and good works. Let us consider with thoughtful attention and deep concern. Let us consider. Next, let's look at to love. Let us consider how to spur one another on to Love and good works. Dr. D.L. Allen points out that the author of Hebrews already in uh, chapter 6, verse 10, has connected love to good works. 
Verse 10 said, uh, chapter 6, verse 10 said, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. So already in chapter 6, there's been this connection drawn to love and good works, that if we love one another, do you remember in that list of 59 commands, how many of them were love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another? If you didn't feel how much it was, it was 16 times. 16 times we are commanded to love one another. And we can see here in these passages that to love one another overflows into serving one another or good works. Serving and doing good for others. Considering each other's needs, physical, material, spiritual, and looking at the needs of others and going, what can I contribute to that need? Spurring one another on to love and good works. D.L. Allen goes on to say the connection is replete in the New Testament, or the New Testament is full of this connection. The order is important. Love is the internal attitude and spiritual disposition that expresses itself in outward, tangible, good works. What is he saying there? He's trying to say that if we love one another, if we have love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, it will look like good works unto each other. It will look like serving one another giving to one another. Do you remember in the book of Acts, in the opening chapters, I believe it's chapter four, early in the book of Acts, the apostle gets up, Peter gets up and preaches this sermon to a massive crowd and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ that day. They get saved, they get transformed by the Holy Spirit of God, they're new creations, and because God changed their heart and filled them with his love, what do they do? They get all they have, they sell it, and give it to one another and take care of one another. Now today we're like, that's crazy, that's radical. But that's what it looks like when the love of God has come into your heart and changed. When you realize you've already been given the most costly thing you could be given, right? What could be given to you that's greater than Jesus Christ? What could be given to you that's greater than the Holy Spirit of God coming to live inside of you? And when you recognize you've been given that much, all the stuff that you possess looks like a lot less. It has a lot smaller place in your heart. You recognize, man, I've got the most important thing. I've been reconciled to God. When I was a sinner separated from God because of my sin at enmity with God, he saved me, gave me his spirit, gave his son for me, and I'm now in a relationship with God. And so all this stuff in my life, this is again what we talked in Philippians 3, all that stuff that I once thought was so important that I didn't want to lose, that I didn't want to let go of, I now recognize is just rubbish because I've gained Christ. And in gaining Christ, we gain his family. And we're called to love and serve one another. So if we're being missional and living on God's mission, we recognize, of course, there is the mission of reaching others that don't know Jesus Christ with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about that next week and the week to come. But also, part of the mission is the mission of assignment to the family of God, where we bear one another's burdens, where we're mindful of each other's pain, 
when we consider one another's wounds, when we consider one another's needs. Going on in Hebrews 10, 24, where he says that we would consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting. This is interesting. We stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There's a comma there, right? That we would stir one another up to love and good works, comma, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Saying this, the author's saying some people have the habit of neglecting to meet together. Now, one, oh, okay, this is where the, the pastor tells us we got to be here every Sunday. This is where the Word of God tells us we need to not neglect meeting together. Now, one way that, that ex- exemplifies itself is in the Sunday gathering of worship. This is one way we ought not neglect meeting together. Another way is through relationship and groups of intentional Bible study and encouraging one another the community groups, getting into the Word of God. If your relationship with God looks like a service on Sunday and that's it, you're neglecting the family. You're neglecting your need for family. And you're neglecting the family's need for you and what you bring to the table. See, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And this is a church that a lot of people were, were putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I didn't make that up. I wish I had. I'm not that clever. A lot of people were putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And uh, the Apostle Paul is correcting them, saying, hey, you guys are focusing a little too hard on this area of spiritual gifts. You're neglecting the true and higher and greater gift, which is love. Those things are good. We need them. They need to be practiced decently and in order with biblical parameters. But don't neglect the greatest gift, which is love. And in this passage, talking about how God has gifted everybody differently. That's what we want to look at really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He's saying our our body's made up of many parts, right? We get that. He's saying, I'm one body, but this is my head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees and toes. Sorry, I've got little girls. (laughs) We, this is one body made up of many members. This is one local body made up of many members. Broadly, around the world, there is one body of Christ made up of many members. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you have been born again, saved by the grace of God, you have received the Spirit of God. Verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. As who chose? He, God. God chose how he would gift each of us. He chose the way he would wire all of us. He chose the conditions and circumstances that he would put all of us in so that each of us could play our specific part in the body. Where was I? Verse 19, thank you. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same, what? The same what? Care. The same care for one another. If one member suffers all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You matter. You are needed. You are gifted in a way that helps the whole body function. Paul is not letting any of us go, well, I'm not a preacher like Pastor Stephen, so I guess I, can, I don't really have anything to contribute. No, he's saying every single part matters. When we see pro athletes that like break a toe or a pinky and see that they can no longer do what they need to do and the team suffers for it, it's a great picture of how we all need one another. And he went on to say that when one member suffers, all suffer. When one member rejoices, the whole body rejoices. And so the idea that because I'm not like so-and-so, I can't sing like Andrea, or I can't preach like Stephen, or I can't do this thing that that person's good at, or I could never do that thing, so what do I have to give? You have value that Paul is saying, declarative in the word of God, by the authority of God, that every single part has honor, has value, and has need. We cannot do this thing alone, and we cannot convince ourselves that no one needs us. We all have to be honest with ourselves and evaluate. Remember, he said, God placed each member in the body as he saw fit, as he chose, as it pleased him. And a lot of times we get stuck in this trap of, oh, I wish I was more like. And this is almost always in the things that seem more spectacular or seem more glamorous, like preaching or like singing. And this, again, is where we see the people who go on American Idol, who unfortunately didn't have people who loved them well enough to tell them the truth and say, honey, I love you, but you can't sing. That's not your gift. You're awesome at this thing over here. I, I'm a pastor's kid, you, many of you know, and Growing up in church, I remember there was a sweet, sweet, dear sister in our church, an awesome, awesome, faithful servant of God who was incredibly gifted at drama and theater and acting. 
And she was convinced that she had the gift of singing. And my dad, she came up to my dad and would ask to sing a song, a special in church. We don't really do that here at Word of Grace, but she would ask to sing a special and my dad being nice would let her. And man, I know her heart gave honor and glory to God. And so praise God for that. But it was just clearly not her gift. Wow, you're a jerk, Pastor Stephen. God placed the members in the body as he saw fit. Okay? So, so stop trying to be someone else and rejoice in the way God made you. Rejoice in the resources and giftings and talents that God gave you. Stop saying, I wish I was born into a different family and rejoice in the sovereign God's placing you in the family that he placed you in. And there's things that I am terrible at that you are great at. There's things that Pastor Gino, man, they, Gino and Andrea, they sing wonderfully, but there's things that they're terrible at. I'm not going to say what because I don't want to be like that throwing them under the bus. <laughs> but all of us have been wired certain ways. Did I hear thank you? Is he out here? No, no. All of us have been gifted by God as he chose. And we should rejoice in that and be thankful for that. And then give glory to God in that. Amen? It's abundantly clear. Another thing, our bottom line for this week. It's abundantly clear that we need each other. It's abundantly clear that we need each other. When we consider that body, body illustration, the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you, and vice versa. And when you consider the number of one another references in the New Testament, you have to be in outright denial. Outright denial to think I've got this on my own. You have to seriously be in denial to think that me and Jesus is good enough. There's commands and there are clear needs that we have for one another. Uh, I, one area that I wanna to touch on real quick too is the, the, the I watch online. And let me disclaimer, if you watch online, we praise God for that and we're thankful for that. And many people, if you're shut in or in nursing homes, uh, or if you're on vacation or traveling, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. And some people have uh, immune compromised systems and circumstances, certain circumstances like that that make that more challenging. If that is you, though, you need to make sure that somehow you do have biblical community, Christ-centered community. Because watching a service online is not enough. One, because you can't fulfill all these commands that way. And two, there are certain things you cannot get through the computer. I think all of us felt that in 2020, right? How many people came back to church when the doors were open and said, oh, I needed this. How many people I heard say, I missed this. There are things you cannot get without face-to-face -face brothers and sisters saying, hey, how's you, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? Well, I can ask those things of the computer. You can, but it's different. It's different. We need each other face to face. So I'd encourage you, if you watch online and you're able, take seriously Hebrews 10 to not neglect the gathering together. And we're thankful that you're able to use these resources. 
But also, if you're, only if you're not able, ask yourself, how can I make sure that I'm getting the godly connection of gathering together? If it's that you need to have certain safety precautions in place or whatever with a community group, I know we have a community group in our church who has uh, a sweet dear sister who I know is watching right now this morning who, who has her community group caring for her that way. And that's what you need. That's what we all need. We need each other. So practically, what does this look like? What does this practically look like? It looks like the family relational dynamic where we don't let our offenses be something that makes us break fellowship, where if you have enough bad service at the restaurant, you might go, I'm never going back there. Family doesn't do that. Family goes, we're going to work through this because we're family and we're called 16 times to love one another. And love one another means that we're going to work through our differences rather than just let them divide us. Amen? It looks like serving one another's personal needs. Yesterday, I watched 12 men of God get out and early in the morning at 7.30 with some chainsaws and serve a sister in our church who has been recently widowed as she lost her husband to a battle in cancer recently widowed, had trees on her property that she needed to have taken care of. She couldn't take care of them. And I watched 12 guys get out there and give their whole morning, sweating their tails off, working their tails off unto the glory of God to serve a sister who was in need. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I almost cried a couple times and I'm trying to not right now. To see the one another's at work. To see men of God go, I'm going to give up my off day morning and go out in the humidity and sweat through all my clothes and get nasty and dirty and scraped and cut up and use my gas and my chainsaw and I'm going to cut down some trees and I'm going to drag branches out and I'm going to split some wood. It was a God-glorifying morning, blessing and serving the need of a dear sister in our family. That's one of the things it looks like Another thing that it looks like is weeping with those who weep. Two weeks ago, another dear sister in our church, actually two dear sisters in our church, lost their mother. I know one of them is deeply connected to her community group, and she was telling me when I called her to check on her how her community group chose to send flowers to her. I didn't say, hey, you guys ought to. Because they loved and cared for that sister in their community group, they said, Let, let's send them some flowers. That's beautiful. That's family. That's giving glory to God. Living in these one another's. It looks like serving each other's spiritual needs like that gentleman I talked about earlier who's giving every Saturday morning to disciple a younger brother in Christ. It looks like, again, getting in community to talk the Bible together. Every Thursday morning, we have a group of people that get together in the church to study the Word of God and discuss it and wrestle through and, and talk about all the th different things that they see, different groups, different conversations. It looks like being deeply committed to each other's spiritual health, development, and maturity. It looks like making disciples. If we're deeply committed to one another, then it looks not only like clapping when we're baptizing people, which we should clap and celebrate and cheer, but it doesn't stop with going, woohoo, we've got new converts and let's clap and cheer and celebrate. It looks like going, oh man, 
We've got new believers in our body, in our family. How can I help them grow into maturity? It's not let's just clap right now where they're getting baptized. Let's ask ourselves, what can I do for the next three years to help that person grow from infancy in their spirituality and their relationship with God into maturity? And if I can look in Scripture and say, what does a mature believer look like? And here's a new convert. What can I do that might take the next three years of faithfully walking arm in arm, hand in hand with that person to make sure that they're growing in their relationship with the Lord, growing into the full maturity in Christ? Amen? That's making disciples. Disciples isn't just a conversion. It's not just an experience. It's walking with like Jesus did for three years. Now, that's not meaning three years is the model, the answer, but it's playing the long game to go, I'm in this long haul, long term, so that we can be committed to one another in ways that are often inconvenient. Katie and I, my wife, we have a dear friend who we've been walking with for over six years. And I got to tell you, there were quite a few times where we almost gave up. And our weakness and our flesh, and she and I had to encourage one another other people on staff, other peers of ours encouraged one another to say, stick with it. And man, God is doing some awesome things in this young lady's life. She text us, texted us a couple nights ago and said, I want to be in youth ministry now. This is a girl who a couple years ago almost took her life. And we've been walking with her for six years. Long game is discipleship. That's what these one another's look like. And it's often inconvenient, it's often difficult, it's often messy, it often looks like painting walls and doing things like that that lead to conversations that give glory to God. It looks like putting the needs of others before yourself. It looks like serving each other and the whole church family with the gifts and talents and time that God has given us at our weekly worship gathering and events. That's another thing it looks like. It looks like serving on Team WOG. Guys, it takes a lot of people to make this all happen. It takes a lot of people to make all this happen. A lot of manpower, a lot of faithful, selfless service unto others to make this all happen. It takes people with a one another mentality to do everything we do here as a church, simply in our weekly worship gathering and beyond. So, if today these 59 one another's are challenging you like they're challenging me, let's be asking, how can I answer? And what does it look like in my life? I, I didn't know this morning was the first time I saw Greg and Jackie's video, okay? So I want you to know this was not planned. This is how awesome and wise and sovereign our God is. Uh, when you and I watched Greg and Jackie on the video screen this morning, that's the first time I saw that video. And I was preparing this morning to say one more time, if you're willing and available and able, our kids' department needs more help. If you're not wired for it, if you're not the hand or the eye that's wired for that, I get it. But some of us are, and some of us are capable, and some of us are available. And I am so blown away by the faithfulness of when we were reopening from COVID and we didn't have kids' classes yet, there were so many that said, man, we need that. We see that need. And even though, like Greg and Jackery, I'm not wired for that. You heard their conversation. They said, like, that's not us. They felt God prompting them, and they said, okay. And they did it, and they signed up that way, and God has used them mightily. 
Now, I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody or manipulate anybody, but I am asking you, is the Lord moving on your heart today? Because that's another area with, with summer and people traveling. And as we continue to want to move forward, that's one area that needs a lot of help. So let me just say this, right here and right now, if in kids department or any department, if you wanna serve, all you gotta do is text serve to 920-282-8484. Really, Pastor Stephen, you're gonna put a plug like that in the service without apology? Without apology. Sorry, Gino, I know we're over time, but I gotta say something real quick. There's a young man in our church who serves in the media department that I was having a conversation with one time. And uh, I said, what do you guys feel about serving? What do you love about it the most? And he said, you know, before I started serving, I saw people, I would come to church and I would listen to the sermon and I would get out and I'd stand there for like five minutes and I'd look around and go, this is awkward. All right, I'm out. And then he started serving. And he said, when I started serving, I, I got to grow in deeper relationships with you and with the staff. I got to grow in deeper relationship with other people who served in the department. And he said this, now when I come to church, it's like I get to see my family and I get to see all the people that I love and get to check on them and talk with them in deeper levels of relationship. And this guy is someone now who stays amongst the latest people who stay every Sunday. And so that's one more reason why I'm just not gonna apologize for asking you to consider these one another's and not be someone who only consumes but also contributes. Not only because scripturally we're commanded to, but also because I have seen the benefit and the fruit in the person's life who serves. You have more opportunity to feel these relational one another's when you're willing to set yourself aside and serve for a greater cause. 16 times we're told to love one another. And one more time, I'll read that verse that, that Greg read, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you. This is out of the master's mouth, Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the commandment that I think encapsulates all the 59. That's the commandment that I think captures all the 100 mentions. This one another statement that we are called by the master, commanded by the master to love one another. God, I pray today that you would help all of us take seriously the clear, explicit commands from your word out of your mouth to love one another, to serve one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to weep together and rejoice together. God, I ask you would help all of us to look soberly in the mirror and ask, what do I have? And what can I do with what I have? Where is their need and how can I fill a need? God, I ask not that my words would be used to manipulate people or just heap guilt on people, 
But I ask God by your Holy Spirit this morning that you would use your word to call all of us into the love for one another. And as we saw in Hebrews, that love manifests in good works. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do this work in hearts in the way that empowers us to do it with joy. Not out of burden or obligation, but joyfully serving you like those 12 men I watched yesterday. Serving you with joy and with gladness. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.